quick warning before we begin, our episodes are made for adult ears, so do expect to hear some swear words and occasionally some adult themes. A little content warning, for today's episode we do briefly discuss abortion. Oh, one more thing while we're at the warnings, a note on sound quality. These episodes have been produced by us in isolation. They're not made in our usual studio, so they don't sound as slick. But bear with us. I promise you the content is worth waiting around for. Hey, Daisy, can we make some podcasts? Yeah, we've got so much time on our hands. Sounds good to me. Every day we could bring a good and a bad news item, what's keeping us going, what's making us blue, and then we'll try and get as many guests as we can. Stunning, let's do it. (laughs) I'm Daisy Grant and you're listening to Harness, Isolation Diaries. So Daisy and I recently had the absolute pleasure of speaking at the Gather Women online brunch. And one of the questions that we were asked is, as podcasters, what we would recommend, what do we enjoy? And we made a big list. So it just got us thinking about the media that we're consuming at the moment, podcasts, TV shows, or otherwise. We thought instead of doing news items this week, that we would just share a little bit of what we have been watching and listening to. Hit me. Well, so much, to be honest, Days. I have so many things that I could recommend. I've watched so much telly, it's actually disgusting. First of all, if you haven't already watched Unbelievable, you need to watch it. There's Did you no... watch it again? Yeah, I rewatched it. Oh, God. I love it. I've been watching The Innocence Files on Netflix, and I watched The Biggest Little Farm on Google Play, which is a very life-affirming documentary. It sounds boring. It's about farming and sustainability, but it's not. It's incredibly beautiful and made me cry. Did it? I'm listening, yeah, to a huge amount of podcasts. I am a big podcast fan, believe it or not. What have you been listening to? Did you listen to Louis Theroux's new one? It's with John Ronson, right? Yes, the man who looked into porn. I was exploring porn with Augustines. I thought that was quite a good impression. That is good. Um, I'm always a fan of Crime Junkie. That's two women who run that. And as although it's called Crime Junkie in itself, it sounds like it massively commodifies people's pain. It doesn't. It's really brilliant and really sensitive. Two other ones that I've been listening to on lockdown particularly, like literally the list is endless and I get really excited when I talk about podcast recommendations so I have to calm down I can't calm down Daisy I just I love know, it I'm really excited I love your enthusiasm for podcasts because mine has been waning until like the past week so please give them to me Wondery they do great podcasts and I've been listening to their one called American Scandal which are just mini series about scandals uh, one of the other ones I've started listening to is called We Regret to Inform You and it's a rejection podcast and it's again small <gasps> episodes about famous people who have had to face rejection for example starting out with rejecting Stephen King who is an English teacher who has submitted his manuscript for Carrie 32 times before it is picked up so it's really inspiring and really really sweet if you've not listened to Man in the Window no I haven't I will Roisin because you always go on about it I'm sorry I will listen to it who are you why am I friends with you I don't know. Yeah. Oh, man. Man, oh, man. 
I'm off. I need to stop, but it's just there's so many, and I'm I'm going to if you listen to this episode, go onto our page because around the time of this release, I'm going to put up a little bit of a summary of some of the things we've suggested. Have you watched Afterlife, mm-hmm. the Ricky Gervais show? I watched pretty much both seasons in a day on Monday because I was a bit hungover. But it was really bad because it's quite depressing. (laughs) I can never work out if I actually like Ricky Gervais or if I don't. But it didn't matter because I like everyone else in the show. It's really touching and beautiful and sad. It's basically about a man whose wife has died of cancer and him just trying to like navigate his life. I think he's actually his acting is actually really beautiful in it. The moments where he wells up and like gets emotional about his why he never cries but he's just like you can see he's just on the edge of doing it and I'm like that's some talent man that's some good talent oh I have one more I know it's your your go a documentary called Alison but it's a woman who survived uh, a terrible crime and has lived to tell the tale and it's just very life affirming so my wife does not understand why I watch crime documentary she just doesn't get it she just cannot relate to finding any sort of enjoyment and we've had fights over it before because i want to tell her all the details well firstly i know that statistically women actually watch crime more than men which is interesting i don't know exactly why that is but i think it's something to do with a understanding the psyche of people like how can it happen how can we stop it from happening and also a kind of how can i protect myself what else have you been watching and consuming? Consuming a lot of biscuits. <laughs> no, but Adam Buxton's podcast was on hiatus for a little while. That's famously my fave. And I absolutely lost my shit because he brought back another episode where he was interviewing Tash Demetriou. She already has two previous episodes on the Adam Buxton podcast that are so funny. And this one doesn't fail to amuse and I would definitely recommend listening to that. Her brother plays in Fleabag, you know, the the posh one with the big teeth? Oh my God, he's brilliant. So that's her brother. She and him do a show called Stathlet's Flats that her brother wrote, very funny. And she's also on the American version of What We Do in the Shadows, written by Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement. She's just so good. So that really tickles me. And then Killing Eve, I've been watching Killing Eve. Oh, I've also been watching RuPaul's Drag Race. I can't believe this show exists. I really didn't think it would be my thing, but I absolutely love it. And I'm obsessed with all of them. One more. (laughs) Have you seen Vera Drake before? No. So it's a Mike Lee film. I know you'll know Mike Lee because you're a bloody actress. Oh my God, it's so good. It's got Imelda Staunton play in the 1950s. She plays a housewife who performs illegal abortions on poor, vulnerable women. It's so fascinating reading the articles about it. A, the abortion method that she uses is completely fictitious. Like it, there's no way that an abortion could have been that easy. And I was watching it. It's about two hours long. And I was kind of on my phone, like watching it because it's very talky talky dialogue. And then the last 15 minutes, I couldn't stop crying. I was just sobbing. It was amazing. It's such a good film. Well, I'm definitely going to watch it then. Beautiful. So Roisin, this week we got sent in the cutest voice messages ever from my beautiful friend Christina and her two kids, Stefano and Alice. And we're going to hear from them now. What's your name? Alice. How old are you? Four. Who are you isolating with? Mummy. 
daddy and my big brother. How are you feeling? Happy. And what do you like to do when you're isolating? Mm, playing by myself, playing with my dolls and playing with my Barbies and playing with Peppa Pig. What do you enjoy the most? Everything. Everything. What do you don't like? What you don't like about isolating? Nothing. Hi, I'm Stefano. I'm a 10-year-old boy. I'm isolating with my mom, my sister and my dad. I'm feeling I'm feeling happy. I'm entertaining myself with Lego, puzzles, trains and some other stuff. I've got one month in me before I crack. I'm enjoying staying home with my family. The worst part for me is doing homework! Oh, they were amazing! They're so cute. So who have we got on the podcast today, Daisy? So we are going to hear from my dear friend, Neve. Neve has worked within the hospitality industry for nearly 12 years, and I really wanted to hear her perspective on what she thought the industry was going to look like after the pandemic. We talk a lot about how it feels now to be a part of the industry, whether we feel supported, She's also a brand new mother and I wanted to hear what her experience was like bringing up an eight-month-old during this time. Both she and her partner work in hospitality, so her position is a bit of a precarious one and we wanted to hear a bit more. Stick around to the end where she gives some tips about how you can support the hospitality industry during this time while the restaurants are closed and how you can make everyone still feel the love. Neve, how's yeah. quarantine? It's okay, actually. I have to say, I, I know that our recording didn't didn't really go as planned last week. Between last week and this week, I've started to feel more cabin feverish than I was mm -hmm. before. We moved house on the 26th of March, so one week into lockdown. But since then, we've had things to do around the house, you know, like apart from looking after an eight-month-old. And so we got to this point where like, we're kind of in everyone else's position where we're just trying to fill a day. And does it make a difference having such a young baby in terms of the responsibility or anxiety you feel about being responsible for things being okay? Yeah, I think it's twofold. For one thing, it's, you know, mundane as it is, there is always something to do. Like, it's busy. He requires a lot more attention than he used to at this age. I think it's a real formative age. I'd say every age is that probably. But for me, compared to the the previous months there's a lot less just him just chilling he requires a lot more entertainment so there's in the back of my head kind of like a are we run out of toys that stimulate him do we need to get some more stuff trying to think of things that are, are gonna stimulate him educate him all of that stuff keep him happy and not knowing you know when they can't talk yet and they can't communicate yet not knowing if if a tantrum is having because he's bored of being in the same three rooms and he's understimulated just don't know we don't know how much this phase is going to affect babies in general like my sister's got a two-month-old and she's worried that her baby won't want to be held by other people and i probably have the same concern the work is less hard than for somebody who's got a four or five upwards year old child yes there's the argument that everyone should be grateful that they're getting to spend this time with their children and i'm definitely grateful that we're spending time as a family my husband went back to work after two weeks and ever since then we've been talking about how we want to spend time as a family why can't we just not work and just spend time as a three now we're in exactly that position and you both work in hospitality don't you Nor so how is that going and, and how are you in terms of your resources and, and managing work and things like that? Can you give us an update? 
Sure. Jane's a head chef. He will be in the same situation as me, which is the job retention scheme. My situation was much more peculiar because I was due to start back work from maternity leave on the 6th of April. And then obviously the shit hits the fan and the restaurants all closed down. Kind of just been waiting for whether I was going to be retaining the new job, what that meant in job retention scheme, which as most people probably know is 80% of your pay. If you're offered that furlough job retention scheme, you get 80% of your pay. I didn't know what that meant for me, having been on statutory maternity pay for the last few months. Can I get a little insight from you? Because I've never worked in hospitality ever. Do you have the same support and contracts and rights as you do in other industries, like corporate industries? Is maternity leave built into your contract through work or was it just the statutory payment that you were receiving? It's the same as other companies in that statutory maternity leave pay is guaranteed to you. It's paid to you via the government after a certain amount of time working at a place. And that works across the board in the UK. And then you get the same statutory maternity pay no matter what after that fact, right? But with um, anything more than statutory maternity pay, it's entirely up to your employer and that goes across industries. Uh, With my job, there's nothing above statutory maternity pay. As far as I'm aware, that's not unusual for hospitality to have very little by way of incentive for working mothers. That seems really rough. Yeah. And to be honest, I, like with most things in hospitality, and Daisy, obviously you work in the industry too, so you'll let me know if you agree or not. I've been in this industry for maybe 12 years, and I have an inbuilt idea of, well, it's supposed to be a bit shit, and you're supposed to have to take a certain amount of crap, and you're supposed to have to work crazy hard. 100%, and it's so weird that we really accept our lot in hospitality. You don't fight for things, you're like, right, well, that's what I'm getting cool I've got to accept it because it's my fault that I'm here and this is a unstable industry and I need to accept that why is that okay I know it's a strange one we really uh, flagellate ourselves for the decision to work in hospitality because of the way it's looked in society as such a transient job and you get the constant thing from customers of like so what else do you do is this yeah. your own job and I've had that from family not my, not many family but like people I don't know you know through the years Um, And although I would defend it kind of to the grave, I still internalize those feelings. And that goes for the work ethic feeling as well, which is also particular to London. So if you add London and hospitality together, you get this feeling of like, well, I'm supposed to be working like an absolute dog. And for this rate of pay, because everyone else has done the same thing or is in the same position in this industry. And that's just what it's like. And I chose this. So then I have to accept it. And the same thing kind of came with SMP and, and and not having any additional maternity support, which is, well, it's hospitality. What do I expect? What do you think draws people to a long-term hospitality job? For me, it was just that I was really good at it and it took me out of my own head interacting with people. I think that's something I've learned as well in uh, isolation and in and in maternity leave is that I'm a better version of myself when I'm forced to interact with many, many people, whether I want to or not. It makes me less internalized, less self-analytical, just less stuck in my own head. And for me, I went full-time in hospitality when my mum was terminally ill for exactly that reason. It stopped me sitting and dwelling and thinking about it. And then it also made me feel good because I was accomplishing things there and I was always progressing and I was... 
uh, having a good relationship with the people around me. And I think that's key for the majority of people who end up in career hospitality is one, get promoted and it incentivizes you to stay. And you know that you're good at what you're doing and it's so quick. And like, I knew from the second I came into the restaurant that you and I worked at together, I was like, I know I'm going to progress because mm-hmm. I know I'm good. And it does make you feel good about yourself when you know that you're good talking to people that's the second thing is is relationships with the people you work with obviously you can get a buzz from relationships with customers but primarily it's the relationship with the people you work with and especially as you progress kind of getting a buzz out of out of nurturing people and being there for them and incentivizing them and that's what it is addictive that side of things i like i completely get the incentive to stay for your own personal satisfaction but what makes you stay despite the insurance or assurance that you would get from other industries career progression wise and kind of where i want to get to in hospitality there's nowhere further i don't have a desire to be in ops in operations uh, i don't have a desire to own a restaurant I'd quite like to explore re-educating. It's a very long distance goal because for now outside of pandemic land, I need to earn you know, money and that's the industry that I've been in for 12 years. So this is where I can continue on a normal-ish salary and provide for my family. Truth be told, that's it. It's the fact that I've been in it for this long and leaving it at this stage will cut my mm-hmm. salary by you know a third at least mm-hmm. no matter what industry I go into because yeah. that's where you're trained that's where you've got the experience and that's where you can get that amount of money that you know then we circle back to what the situation is now um, I'm sure you read in the press that a lot of hospitality companies pay their staff with a combination of what they call house pay and trunk can you just give a quick breakdown of what trunk is because a lot of people wouldn't have heard of it so trunk is what customers would commonly know as service charge, but it's called trunk and it's looked after by an external company called Trunkmaster. People think of it like a tip and it is on the bill. In, in essence, it presents like that. It's that 12.5%. So the way a lot of companies do it, including ours, is they pay you a house pay, whether you're hourly or salary, it's roughly minimum wage. And then they give you the rest of your rate of pay, which is your net pay, out of trunk. You're, in theory, always guaranteed that rate of pay no matter how much service charge your restaurant is taking. Now we find ourselves in a situation where it turns out the government is currently not considering trunk as part of their 80% job retention scheme, which means that they're not giving us 80% of our net pay. They're instead giving us 80% of house pay, which is not our wage. Myself, for example, I've, uh, with that in mind, my pay will be under half of what it was before. Well, I was going to ask, do you and your husband, Shane, feel supported within the hospitality industry right now? And I've, um... No, and it's, it's, it's hard to just be mad at the hospitality industry. I've worked in management. I've explained trunk to people, not in a showy, showy, it's great way, but in a way that's like, you're always guaranteed your wage. So, you know, it shouldn't really be a problem. And now we see what the problem is. It's not protected in extenuating circumstances. And everybody who's on a wage, salary or no, is left vulnerable. You know, there's people in worse positions who've lost their jobs. But then, like I said, I sent Daisy an article that came out on Sunday, Jay Rayner did for The Guardian, that's just talking about the hospitality industry and what it's going to look like when the lockdown stops. And as it says, you know, restaurants are not in a, they're not in a position to do anything about this. It's all well and good, the government saying, we'll give you 80% job retention scheme. Obviously, it would be better if they said that included trunk, given that so many restaurants operate in the same way. But they're not saying to the restaurants, we'll also suspend rents for you. Just like they're not saying it to us people who are private tenants. They're not saying it to restaurants either. So it's up to the discretion of landlords who lease out restaurant properties 
whether they're going to pause the rent or not. So how are these companies going to survive these, these few months of lockdown, let alone reopening? What's our industry going to look like when this is all over? I think like? this is the most incredible way for a light to be shone on the hospitality industry and for people outside of that world who visit and come and eat and enjoy and have a fucking fantastic time, for them to see it's so unstable and there's so many facets of it that need to be looked at and changed. What do you think it's going to look like when lockdown's over? I think there's two levels to it, right? I think it depends on where, where you are. So say, for example, you and I, Daisy, we're in kind of management roles, right? My fear for us is going back and it being real skeleton staff because they're so concerned about whether there's going to be customers or not. They have so little cash flow to pay to staff that they won't be hiring hourly staff and junior staff. We'll be in there doing several things that are outside of our job remit and being overrun no matter how busy it is just because we are such skeletal staff and the demands on us will be that much higher and that much out of our remit not to sound like we can't do hard work because the whole industry is hard work and they Um, know that they can put us in these positions because we will do it beggars can't be choosers we're in a position where doesn't really matter how valued or invalued we feel by our companies we are lucky to have a job there is a job to go back to so on top of the feelings you already have in hospitality of now i've got to work hard it's good to be shit this is just the industry it's just tough we've now got this additional layer of i'm lucky to still have a job in this industry so therefore i'll have to do whatever and i'll have to put a smile on my face and be grateful for it and that kind of stings and it's also you know in my personal situation is one thing with the baby and the childcare, and but I won't be able to be as flexible to an employer. So that's another element to it. And I'll feel bad about that as backwards as that is. I'll feel like I'm doing something wrong. Then what are the customers going to be like? Are there going to be any, if there are, are they going to be crazy? Like we know what customers look like on the first hot day of the year. They go out, they drink all day. They come in a restaurant at nine o'clock, drunk out their face, forgetting how to communicate with human beings and they're awful. It's to be expected. We know what customers are like at Christmas time when they're having their awkward office Christmas parties and they don't really know how to talk to each other and they don't know how to split a bill. We know that. We know what customers are like when they're awesome. Uh, We know what customers are like on a full moon. They're all weirdos. We know like... That is a fact. Guarantee hospitality workers will all feel that. But we do not know what a customer coming back after four, five, six months, who knows how long, of being stuck in their houses looks like if they look like anything at all if they're going to be there with hospitality it's going to be the last thing to open up again we're going to be the last people to find out what our futures our jobs and our day-to-day life is going to look like then for months after that it's going to be how are we going to be rebuilding how much pressure is going to be put on us to rebuild this industry well i know that i for one am absolutely gagging to get back into restaurants particularly ones that are staffed by such fabulous women as you two it's really good to be mindful that that there is that level of uncertainty for people and that us as consumers of a vibrant industry uh, I don't think we'd think too much about the trickle-on effect for you guys in terms of every aspect Uh, advice I would give to people who don't work in the industry is one check on your friends maybe send them a veg box from somewhere online if you don't want to give them money, just see if they've still got a job and send them something. If they don't, don't tell them it was from you, you know, whatever. Two, go to the trip advisors, the websites for the places that you love to go to and leave a nice review. Tell them you miss them. Mention members of staff that you liked, you know, mention dishes that you liked. Keep doing that so that they can feel love. And three, when you do go back, be kind. 
and be appreciative and maybe don't ask if service charges are going straight to the staff. Maybe just tip them on top anyway. Thanks for listening to this episode of Harness Isolation Diaries. We are proud supporters of Rafiki Mwema and the Carly Ryan Foundation. To hear more about their amazing work, check out the show notes. Also, if you want to share with us what you've been up to during these really uncertain times, drop us an email at projectharness at gmail.com or message us on Instagram. We love receiving your voice notes. Cheers.